So I am um, in a different role tonight. For those that know you, know me, know you, know me. I hope you know yourself. Um, my name is Hayward Evans. For those who are visiting tonight, I am usually the worship leader up here, and um, also over the young adult ministry here at Riverbend Community Church. And I have been entrusted to speak to you tonight for a few moments, um, and I'm very excited, nervous, but excited. Um, so before we start, I want to say just a quick word. Um, Grayson, I know that you're watching right now um, from the hospital, and so I want to say, love you, little man. Uh, keep fighting. Uh, we can't wait to see you soon. Your mom and dad, Josh and Victoria, so we're praying for you all, and uh, we're not going to stop praying. We're going to see you soon, so I'm so glad that you're watching tonight. Yeah. So before we jump in, let's, let's pray together, church. Father... To hear these miraculous truths that these young children were singing of is convicting. Lord, even as I sat in my seat and I thought, uh, if only I had known back then what they're singing of now, God. And so with that comes a great responsibility that you've entrusted us with. And so, Lord, I pray that in these next few moments together, that this time would be encouraging to us, convicting if need be, edifying, but in all things that it would point us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, it's in your name that I stand here tonight and proclaim your truth, and I ask that you would guard even now us from any error, Lord, before I even start speaking, and that you would be magnified and glorified in your name we pray. Amen. So as I was preparing... Uh, for this topic tonight. Uh, the name of tonight is Preparing the Next Generation. And so I Googled a couple of uh, quotes from some people that I wanted to share with you that I thought were quite interesting. The first one is from someone named Vanessa Carey. And it says this, I think there is a generation gap I personally look forward to as our generation becomes leaders. You are going to see a change and I think hopefully Gay marriage will be a part of that country. The next one is by someone named Ron Klugman, and it says, one of the hallmarks of the baby boomer generation is that it doesn't live like the previous generation. It hasn't yet given up on jeans and T-shirts or beer. And I thought, okay, so these are just a couple of things, and I didn't want to exhaust that and go into too many examples, but there was a lot of just uh, interesting thoughts on generational progress or transitions when it comes to generations. And so I want us to see for the time we have left tonight how God places an importance on how we are to prepare for the next generation coming up. Now, we just watched as these young people took the stage and sang truths about God's word, and they've learned and articulated answers to questions that the Lord willingly will soften their hearts towards true saving faith in Christ Jesus. But what we need to be careful of, church, is thinking that since we have wonderful youth leaders and those teaching in Kingdom Corner, that we can just sit back and just pray for them and just say, you do all the work. We must be active in teaching this next generation. Even if they're not our kids, we must all be active because that's what we're called to do. And I'm going to show us in this. And we have three things I want to talk about tonight, uh, three hopefully encouraging points, no matter what season of life you're in. The first one is 
to take heed in how we prepare ourselves. The second point is take heed in how we prepare our children. And the third, to make Christ known from generation to generation. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. And as you're turning there, I want to give a little background as to what's happening in this passage as we get to here. So Moses up to this point is reminding the people of Israel what God has done for them. He tells them in the first chapter how God delivered them from bondage and slavery and yet how they continue to rebel against him. And we read about their journey through the wilderness in chapter 2 of Deuteronomy. And then in chapter 3, we read about the different conquests that Israel had because of their enemies being delivered to them by the hand of God. And then we come to chapter 4. And we see where Moses is before the people, imploring them to listen to the commandments and the statutes that God has for them. And in verse 6 of chapter 4, Moses says this, So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding, in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So as you're in the book of Deuteronomy, I want us to look at two verses here in chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. So if you would read with me, I'm reading from the NASB. Verse 9, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and your grandsons. Verse 10, remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me in all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So our first point is this, take heed in how we prepare ourselves. In verse 9, the first part there, it says, Only give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your hearts all the days of your life. Now, let's be honest, church, for a moment and transparent. I've been here for a long time, and so I feel like I have that right with you, just to kind of speak frankly. Um, I think some of us have forgotten what we've seen in our lives when it comes to the mercies of God. I think we've just forgotten. You see, the people of Israel were so close to seeing the promised land that they had been told for generations of what had happened before them, right? There was 400 years of slavery, and then there was 40 years just wandering in the wilderness, wondering what was coming next. And then they see the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. Everything was in their grasp, yet... They were forgetting the mercies of God throughout their generations. The descendants of Abraham were about to enter into the promised land, but yet there was one more commandment given to them through Moses, and we see it here in verse 9. Give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently. So what does this look like practically for us? Well, in order to pass something to the next generation, we should make sure that it's worth passing along, right? As believers especially, we should not casually take God's commandments as suggestions. Remind yourself of the joy that came from your salvation that was granted to you by a loving 
and kind God who owed us nothing but gave us everything. Remind ourselves of these things. You see, this message that Moses was giving the people of Israel was a recap of God's provision and goodness to them throughout the years. And I want to ask this question, and I'm sure if I went around the room and asked with a microphone, which I'm not going to do, I was tempted. But I thought if I jump down here, I'm probably not going to be able to get back up. So, but I want to ask this question, and I want you to think about this, church. Has God been good to you throughout the years? Amen? Yes? Okay, then remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of that truth that God has never failed you. He has never forsaken you. Even in the times before you knew saving grace and came to God in in faith through his son Jesus Christ, he was still being faithful to you, right? I look at my past and I think about the fact that I was saved as a senior in high school, but before that, I can look back and think and see how God was protecting me. Right? How God was upholding me, surrounding me with his love. As I look back and think, God, I remember that situation, and yet you didn't allow me to go but so far. You restrained me. And so often we forget these things that God has done, right? How easy it is for us to recite movie lines or, or song lyrics. We can think about past memories when we were two years old. But we're not quick to recall the goodness of God in our lives. Why is that? Why is that? Maybe because we're not taking heed to how we are preparing ourselves before the Lord because we're too busy trying to tell others how to prepare themselves. That's convicting, right? We're so busy in everyone else's lives of how they should be doing better or or reading this or reciting this or memorizing this that we forget and look in the mirror, what am I doing for the, the cause of Christ? We need to prepare ourselves before we can ask anyone else to prepare themselves. This is what Moses is saying to the people here, right? You know what God has done in your midst, and yet you've forgotten these things. Why? Because you're not training yourself to be reminded of the goodness of God. Church, we have to have these disciplines in our lives to remind us of who God is and what he has done to set us apart from sin. Moses even lays out to the people what happens when they do not heed these things. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 25 through 27, it says this. When you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do not and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger, verse 26, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. Take heed to yourself, believer. Pray that the Lord would guard our hearts so that we are not overtaken by the distractions of this world. We need to worship before the Lord in thanksgiving, being reminded of the things that he has done. This is what Moses is calling the people of Israel to do, right? Just take a moment and remember, you are constantly being told of these things from your ancestors. And yet you forget, right? 
you forget the fact that God didn't just dry up the Red Sea, but he parted it for you. So you could still see what was on both sides of what he's taking you from. And that's what happens many times in our lives. He doesn't just remove things from us, but he shows us what I'm taking you through. And it's hard sometimes, church. It's hard sometimes, Christian, believer, mom, dad, child. It's hard to trust what God is doing. But as a believer, we can trust that what he's doing is good. And it's right. And he's sovereign in doing so. The more that we meditate on the Lord, the closer we get to him, And the closer we get to him, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more glorious he becomes to us. Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Prepare your souls so that you would one day see God. Isn't that the only reason we're here for this long? We are not here to just enjoy what the world has for us. Here's the thing. The world can give us all the riches they want. It is nothing in comparison to what God has for us one day. To be face to face with Jesus Christ, your Savior, your Redeemer, your friend, the one who has reconciled you from sin, the one who has set you apart, the one who gave his life for you. That is what we look forward to. We are just passing through, church. We're just passing through. How do we prepare our souls? Remembering that, that we're looking forward to what's to come. We're not comfortable here. We shouldn't be comfortable here. But Lord, prepare my heart so I am looking forward to being embraced in your arms one day. It's what allows us to hold things more loosely in our hands, right? To say, I can't have a a strong grip because I know that easily God can just remove my hand off those things and take it from me. And then what happens when God removes these things? We've seen this many times even in our own church. When God takes the most dearest things from us, And our faith becomes like sinking sand sometimes. And it's hard to sing. It's hard to worship. It's hard to pray. But here's great solace. The fact that Jesus Christ knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our weaknesses just as we do, but without sin. And so in order to prepare ourselves, we have to know who he is. So the first thing is take heed how we prepare ourselves, which leads us to the second point. Take heed in how we prepare our children. Now, many of you know that my wife and I, Jenny, have an eight-year-old son, Isaiah. Um, I think they're upstairs right now watching from my office. Um, And so he's eight months. Did I say eight years? Whoa. Woo. Wow, slow down, slow down. He is eight months old. Some of you are like, have I not been to church that long? No, he's, he's only, he's eight months old. Um, and, and when he was born, many of you that are parents in this room know this, that when you're, especially your first child is born, your first thought is, I hope I can keep this thing alive, right? 
God has given me this creature. I hope I can keep it breathing and things like that. And as I thought about his future, I was terrified. I still am terrified thinking about this because you don't want your children to make the same mistakes you made. Right? I remember my dad sharing that with me. You know, Hayward, I'm doing this for you because I don't want you to go down the things and do the things that I did. Well, um, it's, it's hard because we're going to make mistakes. I know that my son Isaiah is going to make mistakes. Why? Because he's a sinner. From the moment he entered this world, he came out a sinner. As beautiful as a gift as I knew that my son was, I looked at him and I thought, this is a sinful, beautiful, amazing child that God has given us. I don't want him to make mistakes. But we have to know that when we're cultivating anything, especially a child's mind, that it takes time, right? Um, we're seeing today in our culture what happens when the next generation is not shown what God has called us to show them. And so now I'm speaking to the church, not just Riverbend, but the church, Jesus's church, the bride that he died for. If we are not cultivating a a a world that is what God has intended our children to walk through. If we are so ashamed of the gospel because we're not preparing ourselves, but we think, let me just enter all these life lessons that I learned from. Well, here's the thing. He has given us every life lesson we need right here, but we're not sharing this with the next generation. This is what's happening in our society today. And we're blaming it on everything else except ourselves. When God gave the people of Israel up to the slavery of sin, it is what the world offered to them, and they took it. If the children have not tasted the sweetness of Christ, then the bitterness of sin will be what satisfies their appetite. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous. We blame young people today for their actions, their speech, their decisions, their values, their beliefs, and everyone else is to pour into them while we sit idly by and watch Satan raise our children. And yes, if Christ is not the center of what they're doing, then Satan is raising our children. He is the prince of the power of this world, right? He is the ruler of darkness. First John tells us that you're either in Christ or you're not. You either love him or you are an anti-Christ, which means you are against Christ. So if our children are against the things of God, then that means they are loving the things of Satan. They are loving the things of this world. We need to stand up and say, no, Christ is what you should be treasured in. Christ should be the most beautiful thing that you know, young people. But that can't happen if he is not the most precious to us. We must take heed how we prepare our children. I think about the world that my son is growing up in, and the only hope I have as a father is knowing that God is still in control. He is still in control. He has entrusted me and my wife with a child that I know is from him, and so I want my son to know that, right? Yes, mom and dad, we love you, son, and we'll do anything and everything to guard you and protect you, but you are a gift from God. And since he gave you to us, he can easily take you away from us. Psalm 127, 
verse 3, says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. They are a gift. A gift is something given over to you, right? If you have a child, you know this. I did not deserve my son, and yet God graciously gave him to us. They are not to be mishandled or, or trifled with. They are to be carefully cared for and given instruction because of unto the Lord. When we are given something like Christmas or birthdays or whatever, and there's a long lost aunt that your kids have never heard about, and it's like, oh, Aunt Susie gave this to you. It's like, who's Aunt Susie? Oh, let me tell you who Aunt Susie is, right? You tell them who the gift is from. Why would we not speak of the one who gives us all things? Especially when it comes to our children. Speak to them. This is the reason you're here, son, daughter. It is because of God being gracious to give you to us. We just happen to be used for his glory. We prepare our children by telling them about the story of Jesus Christ. We want them to know Jesus because we know Jesus. I love my father. I was given my name because of my father who is watching right now. Um, he's Hayward Sr. I'm Hayward Jr. And I want my son to know and learn from my father who would be his grandfather. But many of you know my wife lost her father a few years back and so he's not here with us on this earth. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to tell our son about him. It doesn't mean that we're going to tell him, that we're not going to tell him stories about how he instilled the gospel in his family, left a legacy of truth because of who Jesus Christ is, how he would set everything aside of who he is so that Christ would increase and he would de decrease. This is what we're going to instill in our son. Remember your salvation and how you longed to know more about the Savior when you were saved. Share that with your children. Share with them the sweet story of redemption, of what that looks like. The reason children and young people today don't really want to be in church, and I'm just going to say it, is because their parents don't really want to be in church. It's the honest truth. I know that statement will probably offend some people, but the more we love Christ and his church and our children see that, they will know that this faith is real that we're living out or trying to live out. And it doesn't just happen in a church building, right? As followers of Jesus Christ, this is just a, a recharge when we're in here. What goes on out there is when we live out the Christian life. It's easy to speak of Christ here. It's easy to sing about Christ here. But what happens when the world hits us? What happens when that coworker speaks to us a certain way and our flesh enters in? Right? The way we act in the world will reflect how we act around our families, around our children, and our children see and hear everything. I have already shown my son things I wish I didn't show him. I was telling Crossroads last night, I showed him this thing where I kind of, I was trying to teach him how to sing, even at eight years old, just kidding, eight months old. And I thought if I can just get little noises in his head, maybe he'll learn, you know, little nuances and stuff. And so we did this. Well, he's already doing that. And I'm like, yes, son. Yeah, keep, keep doing it. Well, the older he's getting and starting the teeth, I'm realizing that with that comes a lot of drool. 
And so what I taught my son, I'm wishing I didn't teach him as much because now it's not only just drool, it's the projectile that's coming out because he's like, and it's all over the place. And I'm like, son, stop, just stop doing it. There he is right there, just walked in the room. And, but I want my son to learn from me the things that are valuable. Father, mother, what is more valuable that can be taught than the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's nothing else more valuable. There is nothing else of more worth than the gospel. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as a frontal on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. That does not happen if we do not love God. Love your children more by loving God more. If we want our children and this next generation to love God, we must love God. Proverbs 13, says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Leave an inheritance that is lasting and will bring life to many generations to come. And I just want to add this to those that may not be parents or even married people. It doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you're divorced, if you've lost a spouse. This responsibility lies on all of us. It lies on all of us to help prepare the hearts of young people with the ultimate goal of seeing repentance in them and having faith in Christ alone. When we have children dedication, which I get a front row seat right here, right behind them. If you notice, many times they'll talk to the parents and ask them questions, but there's also a moment when they talk to the church, right? And they say, church family, now do you commit to do these things and these things? And what do we say? Yes, we will, right? Let our yeses be yes, right? Let our noes be noes. So if we're committing these things, church, we need to be active in doing those things. So instead of complaining about other people's children, let's help, right? Let's jump in and help serve. You don't have to be in the youth room right now. You don't have to be in the children's wing. We could be right here helping families, cultivating a mindset of Jesus Christ, which brings me to the last point, number three. Make Christ known from generation to generation. Look back at Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 10. It says this. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth that they may teach their children. Remember the day you stood before the Lord. Now, the day that Moses is speaking of here is when the people gathered at Mount Sinai and watched as Moses ascended the mountain to speak with God. And the people were told not to touch the mountain, not to get close to the mountain, or they would be put to death. 
And now while Moses was up on the mountain, there was a great lightning and thunder and the people trembled in fear and the mountain was surrounded in smoke because Exodus 19 tells us that the Lord descended on the mountain in fire. As the trumpets grew louder and louder, the Lord spoke to Moses and from that conversation came that last song that they sung about. Came the Ten Commandments. Now, these were the standards that the Lord commanded them to live by, the people of Israel and us, right? We know that no one could perfectly obey these commandments, and so we all deserve judgment. And the penalty given for those that could not perfectly, righteously do these things is death. So the people surrounding that mountain saw the glory of God in, in smoke and fire and lightning on top of the mountain. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine you realize that there are people, and some may be in this room, which is fine, but we get terrified when an earthquake, or I'm sorry, when a, when a uh, hurricane's coming, right? We've seen, those I've lived here for many years, um, we had one year where there was like three back-to-back, -back, if you remember that, and there was three hurricanes back-to-back. -back. We're like, oh, here comes the next one, here comes the next one. We're at the point now we're kind of comfortable with them. We're like, oh, it just, it's bringing a good breeze now. We don't even go out and get batteries anymore. We're just like, okay, if it's Category 5, that means it's probably a 2, right? And I'm not saying that lighthearted because we've had horrible situations with hurricanes. But I say that because look how much devastation hurricanes bring and imagine what the people of Israel saw in that moment. Now, I don't picture Mount Sinai. I've never been there, but I don't picture a little, a little mound, right? I'm picturing a huge mountain. And God said, don't even touch the mountain. Don't even go close. And as they sat there and watched, all they saw was smoke filling the top of this mountain. And all they know is Moses is up there, right? And they're hearing thunder and there's lightning and all this happening. And then all of a sudden the Bible says that the mountain started shaking, started moving all around. And you know what happened? The people were in fear, not because of the lightning, not because of the smoke, but because of God, because of who God is. You, believer, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ alone for salvation from this judgment of God, you too have seen the glory of God. Remind yourself of that. You have seen the glory of God in your life. So this is a great story to tell, right? That sinners like us would be called sons and daughters. That we've been delivered from the consequences of sin and given a great inheritance. That you've been given an invitation of a feast at a great banquet hall because of the king of kings who's invited you to come in. He has opened up the doors. He has swung them wide open and said, come in. But if you are not of Christ, he shuts the door right in front of you. It says, not you, but the ones that I've called. This is what this means. It means that your sins have been washed white as snow. Your guilt and shame are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. You are no longer enemies of God, but you are called friends. And one day you will see your Savior face to face and he will embrace you. And he will look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now. Now you can come into my rest. If you are saved by the blood of Christ, you have seen the glory of God. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, And the word become, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So how do we declare the greatness of our Christ among this next generation? We declare his glory 
from the youngest to the oldest, from the richest to the poorest, men, women, homosexuals, bisexuals, those who are confused with their sexuality. We don't care who it is. We go out and we tell them of Jesus Christ, who he is and the hope that's in him. That's what we do. We don't go to the easy places. We go to all places, all nations, all peoples. We tell them of Christ and how we have been made in the image of him. It is the Imago Dei, made in the image of God, and we declare his glory among all the nations. It is what unconfuses the confused. We make Christ known. So, in closing, in order to prepare the next generation, number one, we must take heed to how we prepare ourselves. Number two, we take heed in how we prepare our children. And number three, we make Christ known from generation to generation. And when that happens, we as disciples and ambassadors for Christ can echo what Paul said to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do not take lightly what you've called us to do. To go into all nations, to all peoples, and declare your greatness, your majesty. And so God, I ask that even for myself that you would prepare my heart, prepare my life, Lord. That my life would be as a spiritual worship unto you, as Romans 12 tells us. And God, in that, that you would help all of us cultivate an atmosphere that we are preparing our children, Lord even if they're not specifically our children, but that we would help as a church come and prepare and make a way for the gospel for young people and young ears and minds and hearts to know and love our Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, take us outside of our comfort zones. And when that happens, may our Christ and our Savior and our Redeemer and our one that has come, the great I Am, be declared from generation to generation. And so, Father, we just thank you for what we saw tonight in these young people on these risers, speaking truth, reciting scripture, singing your praises. And God, as we go our separate ways tonight, I ask that these words that you've allowed a foolish man like me to speak, to be on our hearts, that we would not sit idly by and allow the world to raise up our young people, that, but that we would be bold, bold in the fight against immorality, against sin, that we would stand firm on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.